You are listening to the Effective Statistician Podcast, a podcast designed to help you reach your potential, lead great science, and serve patients. Today, it's episode number 67, Mistakes, How to Minimize Them, How to Manage Them. Welcome to the Effective Statistician with Alexander Schacht and Benjamin Piesker. The weekly podcast for statisticians in the health sector who want to reach their potential to serve patients without becoming overwhelmed by work. We have a challenge on writing an abstract for the next year's PSI conference in Barcelona. So go to theeffectivestatistician.com slash abstract challenge, all in one word. Writing an abstract is an awesome opportunity. And it's a first step to uh, be more known, be more seen. And it's actually easier than you think. So we'll give you lots of lots of uh, tactical advice and, and strategic advice in terms of how to uh, make that happen. So please join this abstract challenge and, and join the community that will help you with that. So today we talk about mistakes. Well, everybody makes mistakes. We are all humans. But it's really how you deal with them and what you can do about them to, to minimize them. And in today's episode, we'll talk about these different things. Um, we'll also give you a couple of practical tips what to do with them and how to avoid them. So keep on listening. This podcast is created in association with PSI, a global member organization dedicated to leading and promoting best practice and industry initiatives. Join PSI today to further develop your statistical capabilities with access to the special interest groups, the video-on-demand content library, free registration to all PSI webinars, and much, much more. We have a reduced rate at just £20 for non-high-income countries and it's only £95 for high-income countries. Visit the PSI website at psiweb.org to learn more about PSI activities and become a PSI member today. Welcome to another episode of The Effective Statistician. Uh, my name is Benjamin Pieske, and I'm here today with Alexander. Hello, Alexander. Hi, how are you doing? <laughs> Thanks. Um, well, today we have a very interesting topic. Um, interesting because everyone knows what we are talking about. So it's it happened to everyone often, I believe. It's a topic that we don't like. That, that no. It's actually <laughs> something that we try to avoid and try to get around, but actually... So the topic is mistakes, how to how to minimize them, how to manage them, because making mistakes is quite obvious, um, valid for everyone, but uh, how to deal with mistakes, so how, um, how to work uh, with the situation of um, having made mistakes and um, how to manage them. And actually, um, yeah, I don't know, Alexander, do you have a good story about mistakes? Yeah, so that's the story that... Um It's a little bit funny, so that's why I uh, remember it. Um, I once was uh, with a company. Uh, there was a story where the uh, company sent the tables to the FDA, and you know, for for uh, the, in their process, they had uh, for the blinder tables, they had some kind of dummy headers in there. So so instead of uh, the active treatment versus placebo, they had their 
dummy A and dummy blue in it. And um, the mistake was that uh, they didn't change the headers and, and send the dummy A and dummy blue headers to, to the FDA. So um, pretty obvious error. <laughs> and of course, also pretty embarrassing one. But um, these things just happen. It's a, yeah. I mean, probably the situation itself. It wasn't. It wasn't really funny because of no. the situation. Be, being in yeah. the situation, it's really usually not funny. <laughs> but um, yeah, but but of course, you know, these things things happen. And today we want to talk about um, what you can do to avoid them, to minimize them. What uh, companies do to avoid them and minimize them, and. Um, what to do when they still occur, because of course mm -hmm. they occur. Talking about companies, I mean, obviously we, we have, for example, processes in place that are, that are made to minimize uh, mistakes and um, avoid mistakes. Uh, but, but why is it still that, that there are mistakes? So, so I think just speaking about processes. So, um, Processes are, so to say, the organization's experience put into practice, so to say. So all the different uh, mistakes that have uh, been occurred in the past, that the people in the organizations that design the processes know about, they are kind of fed into the processes in order to avoid these mistakes. However, if so, it's kind of the lessons the lessons learned from the past. Yeah, the lessons learned from the past, and very often, kind of, if there's mistakes, uh, people look into the processes and see how will have these processes, you know, so to say, enabled the mistakes, or have they kind of uh, made it easier for these mistakes to happen? And um, if you, for example, think about um, flight checks that pilots do. This is based on all the history of kind of what all different mistakes have happened in the past and where errors could occur to kind of um, exclude them and check that everything is okay. And the same is with processes in companies. You know, it's kind of embodies all the different things and it should help to um, have consistency in terms of the output and um in terms of the input and things like that. But of course, you know, processes can only kind of be as good as the experience of the people that uh, use it and um, the situations that they des describe and um, the situations in which the people work. So if these processes um, have, of course, assumptions on how experienced people are, how um, what the business environment is and what's the state of the uh, people are that work along these processes. And if these assumptions are not true, then that usually leads to problems. To reiterate what, what, uh, what you should know or we all should know is that processes are not substituting yes. our thinking. <laughs> There are people that tend to follow the processes, specifications, or any anything that, that pre-describes the, the next tasks. Well, I, I wouldn't say without thinking; that's too harsh. But just you know, with uh, trying to turn the brain off a little, slow down, and just follow the process. No, that's not. Processes are there to help. 
to minimize mistakes, but not to um, purely, they wouldn't purely um, minimize or avoid mistakes because there's the, the part of the human um, that still needs to, uh, needs to be considered. And that's why it's a support, but it's not a replacement of. Yeah. And of um, course, processes have um, problems in itself. Yeah. So, so the more details they are, the less flexible they are. And of course, the more high levels they are and less details they are, they, the less they give guidance to, to those that are unex uh, more or less experienced with it. Having the right balance there is always really, really problematic. Um, one of the good things um, for processes to, is to, let's say, understand what are the principles behind these processes. Why are they in place? Are they in place to, for example, ensure patient safety? Or are they in place to have good documentation pro uh, processes? Or are they in place to make sure things are traceable? So um, there's lots of different quality principles uh, that are reflected in these processes. Knowing them These kind of principles as a backbone helps you to understand, okay, why the process is in place and what are the ex exact steps in there. If you know these principles, you can understand why the process is as it is and what exactly to do there. If you're, if it's kind of vague or if it's, if you can't really, you know, completely understand what, what's meant there, then having these principles in mind uh, helps a lot. What are other parts of um, minimizing mistakes i mean obviously we had the processes or anything i mean maybe to mention that for the processes i think um, in our in our business it's also make sure you know it's also important to have the documentation around it um, so just to make sure that this is documented that you can show yeah. that you have been following processes but i think we get to the point a little bit later when we get to the um to the communication of yeah. uh, mistakes that happened but what are other things to consider for um, minimizing the risks of mistakes? A couple of, let's say, things is, uh, we can maybe go through some examples. You do follow a code validation process. When I was new to the uh, industry, I thought, well, validated output means it's correct output. But of course, no validation process in the world can, you know, um, assure that everything is 100 correct. It just means that, you know, certain steps have been followed and that appropriately based on the risk, some processes to minimize things. So, so for example, double programming or peer review or, or things like this. So it's important first to understand what are kind of the assumptions of the process and then knowing what it exactly takes and what are the different steps. And then, you know, having good programming practices, for example, helps to minimize things there. Um, having templates for documents helps to minimize variations and and uh, make sure nothing gets forgotten. And, you know, um, if others need to pick up work, it's also uh, easy to have that. So so having lots of comments there uh, in, in the program so that, you know, you're sick and someone else needs to pick up where you have left, uh, that's easily done and nothing is forgotten there. Yeah, that's actually a good point. I mean, I think most of the statisticians are not that much involved in the program, actually. But I, I remember that I had to really learn how to document the programs. 
Um, in the very beginning, you, you know, you just wrote, wrote down from scratch and started here and ended there and it worked. But, you know, nobody else would understand what you, what you really programmed. And then really putting this in a, in a, in a nice way with comments in there and just describing what is done, why is this done, where does this variable come from? Um, and so on. This is, um, this is really something where, where we can avoid mistakes in in the situation of handing the situation over but also for yourself to just uh, memorize and also to to see um how um how this is organized and uh, where a potential mistake could be when you do your uh, you see yourself or when you recheck your programs yeah and of course you know speaking about programming um Even if you're not programming, you can still drive uh, programmers to make mistakes if you're not setting them up uh, for success. Yeah, If you're not working properly with them, you are not setting them into a state where they can perform optimally. Of course, you know, that is kind of one of the things where I'm speaking about uh, these processes have assumptions that people are knowledgeable uh, about certain things. And that is very often not kind of written down, but it's just um, assumed by the processes. And if you don't inform your programmers appropriately, you increase the risk um of them making mistakes. That is, for example, one thing to have, you know, decrease mis mistakes, you know, having good communications there, having their trustworthy relationships there. Uh, if you make it sure that uh, people can spend up, uh, speak up and if they see something that doesn't make sense for them, they actually speak up and, uh, you, you know, that way you can decrease, uh, mistakes and this kind of things that's also you know uh there's learnings from lots of other industries where you know um risks are even higher and uh they look into these kind of psychological things and uh, these things really have a big impact uh on things so um having a good safe environment where people speak up helps to decrease mistakes within teams yeah so these these were quite a few examples of um well how to minimize or avoid and also um you know how to think about mistakes that could happen to um to you but but there's also one aspect of mistakes that um may be done with a correct result for example that you deliver so for example uh when You, you know, we work with uh, investigators or other people that may not be that familiar with, um, with the statistical results of a study or of whatever you produced and presented. And there's some, for example, the reason. So how, how can we avoid mistakes that are done if data is being incorrectly interpreted? Clearly communicating the strengths and limitations of, of data. And kind of what are kind of assumptions you put in there. And that can happen, you know, on, on any end. So I remember that I, um, once presented data results to, to some med medical colleagues. While we were discussing them, we realized, hmm, something is weird here. We don't know. Uh, things don't really fit together. I then went, looked into it and couldn't understand it either. I went back to the CROs that provided me the tables and asked them, here, 
this, how does that relate to here? And they said, well, because in the specifications, here's that written and there's that written, but kind of the, the description was the same in both ways. So I don't know. It was kind of, I think it was about the, um, the population that we looked into and it had the same label, but it was differently programmed for the different tables. Things like that easily happen and you make assumptions and these assumptions are not clearly, you know, communicated. And um, then these kind of things happen. So it can happen between zeros and sponsors. It can happen within sponsors that, you know, you provide as a statistician you, for, for you, everything is clear and all the kind of notation is there. Um, but only you understand it and your clinicians don't understand it. And they, you know, make assumptions about it that are not correct. And speaking about these kind of things and being in the room when it's uh, it's discussed and interpreted mm. really helps. That thing is, is coming back to the point of the communication, really, where, where uh, things are being shared, things are being discussed, because discussion leads to... Um, Thinking outside the box, especially thinking outside from specifications. So, for example, if these two tables would have been discussed before, you may have potentially realized that there's the same naming for a different thing, which is leading to confusion. It may not be wrong, but it may, it's just in, um, it's, it's not well described. And I think this is, this goes as you described with the CRO and, and the sponsor, but it also goes within other um, areas. So, for example, with the investigation who's then up and uh, up to present the results um, to be good communicated before what it means what are the limitations where where it goes what what it how to interpret it and and so on so this is something also to to remember about the um, I think we discussed this before in other in other uh, podcasts about talking to non-statisticians, uh, statistical topics and non-statisticians. So this is one of the areas where it may not be a mistake from from your side, but still it may lead to a mistake if if this is not being um, correctly uh, communicated. Yeah. So what you do and what you fail to do may easily increase the risk of, uh, of mistakes. Now, we, we talked, you know, quite some time already now about mistakes, but um, there's one thing that I really need to hit home. There is nothing in the world that will kind of make sure that you do not do any mistakes. And um, in fact, you know, there is a diminishing return on investment, you know, in terms of having lots of checks and, you know, double program, triple programming, quadruple programming, and, you know, first review, second review, third review, fourth review, whatsoever. Yeah. So, so I think we need to just accept that we will make mistakes. I think this is pretty hard, but that's just it. And, um, because, you know, we don't have unlimited resources. We don't have unlimited time. Therefore, we just need to accept that, you know, if, if we send, um, a huge pile of, uh, of work to a regulator, you know, the probability that there's at least one mistake it is in it is actually quite high just due to the volume. Yeah. And, and, and so, so, um, Having the goal of, of zero mistakes 
you know, even in our area, is probably and you may see it a little bit positive sometimes about mistakes because if you only if you make mistakes, you are able to avoid them the next time. So you learn from them. If you want to try something new, you will make mistakes even more. So, so you know, um, having a lot of fear of doing mistakes can hinder you from being innovative. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, challenging the mistakes, uh, the status quo. So, so it's really, really um, uh, important to, to kind of embrace mistakes a little bit. Um, what's of course really helpful there. So one that spots the mistakes is you and not someone else. <laughs> yeah. But that actually leads us to the next big point here is about, you know, once the mistake happened, what's then? So how do we report the mistake and what is, um, do we report the mistake? Or what? So what is the plan there? If you find out about the mistake, maybe a colleague comes to you or you see it yourself or whatsoever, it's really important to kind of directly follow up on it and, and, uh, you know, not start with finger pointing and, and stuff like this, but, um, focus first on the fact that there is a mistake. You need to correct it. And, and probably, you know, depending on the, uh, problem, have a discussion with your supervisor about it. Um, there's nothing worse than for your supervisor to find out, uh, from, uh, you know, some other area in your company, uh, that you made a mistake. He would rather be prepared from you to know that the mistakes happened and what you have done to kind of, uh, remediate it and what you have done to make sure that it doesn't happen again. So, and there's nothing worse to a supervisor than being caught uh, and have a bad surprise. <laughs> yeah, we have to, I mean, still, um, I agree. It needs to be as early as possible, um, especially when, you know, when the, the impact is not clear um, to you, to you. However, I, th I think still the first question is, would be usually from your supervisor or whoever um, is interested in hearing about the mistake is, so what should we do now? So it may be, uh, it may be worse, you know, not talk about the mistake before there's a, a little deeper, um, insight into what actually happened, what needs to be done. So what is the plan? How long would it take to correct it? And so on. So just, just saying there is a mistake might be, maybe helpful if the, you know, if the, if the paper is already on the way to the, to the print. Um, and so to kind of stop it before something is being, um, really printed, but, um, otherwise I think it's realizing there's a mistake should go along with immediate action on, um, on understanding what impact it has and how to correct it, how long it takes, what resources would be needed and so on. Yeah. And of course, you know, let's be honest, that can have, of course, some negative consequences, but, um, finding out later truly has bigger consequences <laughs> and actually kind of if you report these things earlier depending on who's your supervisor of course you can actually build some trust with them 
that, you know, you have an honest relationship with them and um, you talk to them and say, okay, this is what what has happened. Uh, I'm owning that. We'll follow up to not make it happen. And here are the things that I would propose that it doesn't happen in the in the future again. And and yeah, and yeah, and even even though often the first questions would be things like, "Why did it happen? When did it happen?" and so and you start doing excuses for you know I've been under time pressure, I didn't have resources, um, whatsoever. I know this is something very important to follow up and to understand why it happened. However, for the time, for the moment, it usually is more important to have a solution than um, talk about the, the reasons for why it happened. Yeah. In terms of finding out why it happened, you can do that uh, later anyway. Yeah. And, and um, for some bigger projects, it's um, actually a best practice to do some um so to say, post-action review um, and see about all the things that went well and all the things that didn't went well and uh, and then learn from both. But of course, if there's a kind of real issue, um, it's good to have some thoughts about what are the reasons for failure. And these could be kind of um, multiple. Yeah, so so um, if something uh, you know isn't picked up, uh, usually there's combination of factors at play. It could be kind of um, lack of time, not speaking up, not following the processes, and why not following the processes? You know, did did people take a cut because they were under time pressure? They didn't know the bigger picture. They didn't know exactly why these processes were in place and, you know, maybe didn't follow them correctly, didn't really understand them, had lack of experience or, you know, or, you know, or something like a delegating will, yeah, not setting the appropriate expectations, not uh, communicating well. Um, there's lots of things. And in, in most of what we do, there's a team involved. And there's many people involved and, you know, there's, uh, everybody has some, some ways that he contributed to, uh, to, to the mistake. And in that sense, from my end as a supervisor, I would always try to see that the uh, person has some ownership in the problem, clearly can define, okay, what he or she could have done differently and not just kind of point fingers. I think also for the, for the, for these reasons or the, the investigation into, into the backgrounds, I think it's important to distinguish between two, um, let's say directions. I think every, every of our companies, they have yep. a kind of a quality department. So they, uh, who would jump in with, uh, with, um, uh, with the quality finding and could support this from a, from a, a process point of view. And that's, that's my point is really that on the one side, there may be something about processes, um, which went wrong or which just has a, uh, a gap in the processes and maybe misinterpretation is something incorrect. So then something that can be followed up, uh, to, to correct, um, on the side of, of the, of the process side. And on the other hand, there's something about your personal development where, where you, you should talk with your supervisor uh, or work with your supervisor together. And, um, that's the point that you, Alexander mentioned before is about, um, yeah, maybe there was something 
um, you know, about time pressure, about uh, lack of support, about not knowing the bigger picture. So these are things that should be um, that will not be picked up by the the quality yeah. group. This will be picked up by your supervisor and your uh, colleagues or whoever is then responsible um, to support this to get a, a lessons learned out of this for for you, for your colleagues, for the group that that was involved in this um, in this. Incredibly important to really work with uh, with the team and with your supervisor um, uh, on following up on the on the let's say lack of experience. I mean, this is something that could be done uh, as a as a new annual goal or not knowing the better picture. So it's it's something about training. It's something about um, how how to start and how to familiarize with the project and so on. So there are things that can really be um, improved following mistakes that have been done or um, and um, are being followed up nicely. Yeah. And, you know, in terms of mistakes, sometimes the same is also for kind of failures. So for, let's say, failing to, to meet a deadline or something like this. It's the same, same kind of principles hold here. You know, reporting about it early, you know, not when the client has called back and say, well, Your timeline was yesterday, <laughs> uh, but, but you know uh, if you can see that you are not meeting the timeline, uh, you know, uh, reporting that early and and speak about kind of uh, what could you do to kind of um, kind of work around it. Uh, is is there any kind of options that you deliver only you know the first important tables or whatsoever? So um, speaking up early is always better than you know speaking up too late. All right. I think I think we do did capture most most of our thoughts about um, failing and and the reasons for it. Uh, are there other thoughts about um, how do we? I mean, we said we can't avoid mistakes, so we can't avoid this by one hundred percent. But as always, there's an like an optimum of uh, investing, let's say, time and uh, resources, an optimal uh, number. A low number of mistakes, so optimal number of mistake-free. Um, so, what are the approaches there? Uh, what we can think about when when working on a project? That's one of the reasons why we have risk-based approaches. Yeah, so that uh, for certain areas we invest more time and effort and resources into um, getting things right, and for other areas we do invest less time in there. So, so let's say you will invest more time in maybe um, getting the primary analysis right than making sure that, um, let's say, a listing that goes somewhere in the dump data section of somewhere <laughs> is, is uh, exactly in the right format or whatever. Yeah. So um, having that bigger picture uh, and understanding where kind of the impacts is coming on and where are the biggest risks um that is really important then of course um in terms of the the amount of the failure so to say so so let's say um you used a little bit of a wrong approach for uh, calculating a p value but um with one area it's an 00001 and with the other one it's 0.00002 doesn't really change the conclusion probably unless you have some really really <laughs> weird approach <laughs> but uh, uh yeah 
So, so if it's if it's not really kind of a dramatic change in terms of the conclusions, um, you can document that and and then that's that's done. Yeah, um, you wouldn't need to write a letter to the editor to say uh, I'm sorry. You know, uh, there was you know the third decimal after the point was a little bit off. That's you know if it changes, of course, from a let's say a p value of uh, 3.8% to 5.8% then you're in the kind of critical zone <laughs> there may be a different conclusion to that i mean the impact is definitely something which which should be kept in mind when uh, when a mistake is um Observed and then communicated. And in terms of, let's say, talking about specifically about programming, um, I would really encourage you to listen to the episode with Shafi that we did on good programming practices. It's one of the episodes, one of our very early episodes that um, we uh, published in, I don't know, it was April, May 2018. So have a look in there and um, there you find a lot of kind of good best practices that help to uh, decrease uh, programming uh, mistakes. Also one, let's say, bigger point is there, um, having less tables, less unique tables, more standardized tables, and less manual work is, is kind of uh, anyway always kind of a, a, a good way to decrease uh, errors. Because, of course, kind of if if you create every table as a unique one, um, there's much more kind of errors because there's much more work, much more variation. Uh, these kind of things. The, the other point is kind of, let's uh, talk a little bit about kind of process data. So to say, papers that gets in reports, papers, posters, abstracts, often kind of check these things for errors. Of course, I can't kind of check exactly everything because, you know, I don't um, uh, have the uh, source tables in front of me. But what I do uh, check is whether the data all overall makes sense. Yeah. So, so whether the, uh, sample sizes make sense, whether the, the data is consistent in itself, uh, whether the conclusions, um, are valid, um, whether the methods fits to the results and the results fits to the conclusions. And, you know, one of the first things I always look into is, um, whether the flow of patients is correct. Yeah. So, so, uh, is the number of uh, screen patients, does that fit to the number of randomized patients? Does that fit to the number of analyzed patients? Does that fit to the numbers in the different subgroups? Um, these are all the kind of different things to have a look into when you're checking these kind of things. And, um, yeah. Yeah, remember, I mean, the, yeah. the, the tables all may be correct in the analysis that you provided. However, there's, there's much that, you know, that has been changed manually then for the, um, for the posters and for the abstracts, um, after a while. Yeah. And what, what do you think about, what do you think about, I mean, um, working together with somebody else, giving it to somebody who's new to projects, just having, because I, I yes. sometimes think that if you, if you really worked on a, on the full set of, um, creating the outputs together, uh, with your colleagues and then that you kind of start being blind to, to the, 
the numbers or the you know you don't you just know what you did and that's correct as it is and that's it and and no one but yeah do you usually give this to a peer or like to a colleague or something yeah so so i think there's the the kind of internal within the organization peer review process is i think a very very good approach because first as you said you get a little bit blind over time and if you have read your abstracts five times, six times, seven times, maybe you are not kind of that motivated to read it very, very carefully again. And the um, the other point is, um, you know so many kind of things in your background that um, you can kind of n naturally fill in the blanks that that you have not mentioned there and if you give it to someone that is looks at it with fresh eyes he will see it as the reader sees it and he doesn't have all the kind of other knowledge around it that you have so so he can uh much easily yeah. much more easily see whether everything kind of makes sense for someone that has no prior knowledge yeah more than the flow and everything that that it's um, obvious and and the conclusions etc so okay so in terms of i think overall overall summary um there is um you know mistakes happen you will make mistakes you probably have made mistakes and that will always happen and um unfortunately the more advanced with your career are the you know the bigger mistakes you will make because you get bigger responsibilities <laughs> and and kind of um that's also why you get paid more by the way and but still it's really good to kind of um embrace that but still be innovative um constantly watch out for kind of environments in which kind of uh, they are not safe in, in the kind of psychological way that uh, because that usually encourages mistakes try to make processes smart so that they are easy to follow um, and make sure that you know your people are trained are well equipped well resourced That also leads to decrease uh, in, in mistakes. Yeah, and we talked about a couple of very, very practical things, uh, what you can do to decrease mistakes. So follow these advice. And um, if you have kind of other thoughts on that, um, please leave a comment on our homepage, theeffectivestatistician.com, uh, where we post the episode. And um, there's a comment field below all the episodes. And... Uh, It would be great if you could leave a comment there and say, you know, do you have other kind of ways to deal with mistakes? Do you have kind of seen um, better ways or uh, other ways to minimize mistakes? Uh, it would be awesome if you kind of could post some there. Talk to you next week. Bye. Excellent. Then that's for today. And talk to you next week. Then. Bye. This show was created in association with PSI. Thanks for listening. Please visit theeffectivestatistician.com to find the show notes and learn more about our podcast to boost your career as a statistician in the health sector. And remember, sign up for the Abstract Challenge. Reach your potential, lead great science, and serve patients. Just be an effective statistician.